This podcast is supported by an educational grant from Bosch Health, made available through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. Welcome back to the JCMS Podcast. I'm Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery and a Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Calgary. In this episode, we're going to speak with the author of another article that I selected for CME credit in the March, or rather in the May-June 2019 issue of our journal. I chose the article, Combination Therapies for Hidradenized Separativa, a retrospective chart review of 31 patients for recognition because I thought that the authors really put forward a new dynamic in how to measure the response of these patients to treatment and presented an algorithm that I'm sure you'll need for your you'll find very useful for your clinical practice. The article was authored by Megan McPhee, uh, Alana Bridgman, and um, Dr. Mark Kirchhoff. Dr. Kirchhoff is the Program Director and Chief of the Department of Dermatology at the University of Ottawa. And I'm very happy that Dr. Kirchhoff is now with me to speak about his research. Dr. Kirchhoff, thanks for joining me. Good to be here. Now, there's a lot more to this paper than actually is written on the page. We're going to talk about the dynamics of your your system of evaluation and uh, get on to this uh, pretty picture you've got at the back end with, with the uh, treatment algorithm slash uh, guideline. So what was it that took your authors, uh, your colleagues and yourself rather, to uh, put this article together? So um, this is a, these are actually two medical students that worked with me. This, uh, this article um, stemmed from several meetings I went to where treatments for HS were described. And they were always described in a very linear fashion. Um, and often uh, people would say, well, once this fails, you move on to the next treatment. And if that fails, you move on to the next treatment. Uh, and I, I thought to myself, well, that's, that's not how we treat people in the clinic. Um, that's not how I treat people in the clinic. Um, and so I, I thought I would review what I'd been doing. Uh, this was in Kingston, uh, Ontario where I was for three years. Um, and so I accumulated the, the patients that were on combination therapies uh, and then went through their charts, uh, extracted the data, and then, and then published a summation of that. Um, and there's a few important things that uh, I wanted to touch upon. The first is that um, you'll see from this paper is that I, I record something called an IHS-4 uh, score for all my HS patients. And I think this is a really important thing for clinicians to do. Uh, this is um, a numerical evaluation of the severity of HS at different time points where nodules are scored as one, abscesses are scored as two, and a, a draining tunnel or fistula is scored as four. And, and if you just record that every time you see the patient, you can get an idea in a sense how well your treatments are working. Often, you know, we have this Hurley stage one, two, and three, and, and those very rarely, if ever, change, right? You're not going to go from a Hurley stage three to a Hurley stage one. That doesn't happen. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to communicate with patients and describe how well the treatments are working for them. So that was the most important thing. And, and then I mean, we'll, we can get into the details of what combination therapies are and, and how they're important. Um, but I just, I thought this article was an important addition to what was being published by much larger and uh, and I'll say better funded <laughs> groups than myself. 
Uh, and they were doing full analyses of literature and trying to come up with, you know, what the data says and trying to evaluate how good each treatment is and, and uh, categorically um, uh, giving the clinician sort of uh, a cookbook to, to treating HS. And, and I think it's a lot more complex than that. We certainly have spent a lot of time developing scoring systems and trying to um, define the disease by its multiplicity of presenting morphologies. But at the end of the day, our funders want the Hurley story. And as you say, it's it's not very useful to judge how someone's doing. I kind of liked your IHS story. I'm going to try it out um, to see if we can get some dynamism to this discussion and flow and see whether people get better or not better. I, there's no scarring in your in, in your assessment here. And scarring is looking to me like it might be the thing that defines phenotypes or subtypes of, uh, of HS. Correct. And that's the thing, right? So scarring really, it, it defines... Uh, a phenotype or a subtype. It also takes us from early stage one, two to three. Uh, so that doesn't really inform us though how a patient is doing at a static time point. It's, we can give the same analogy with acne, right? We don't see an acne patient and judge how well they're doing based on how their scars are doing. We evaluate how their inflammatory lesions are doing, right? How, how many cysts and how many nodules and how many papules do they have at a given time point? Um, Unless we yeah. get into the other realm of you know cosmetic treatments for scarring, but by and large we're treating the inflammatory component, and the same thing applies to this condition. Once people get scarring, they have scarring, right? and the only thing we can do about that is surgical intervention or other modalities to change that. But really, our treatments are geared towards the inflammatory components mainly. Right. Well, my I was where I was going wasn't with um, acne. We have you know one treatment, um, it, really. I mean, we're we're trying to get there with regard to the isotretinoin most of the time. Here, I was trying to get to maybe the phenotype will just help you pick which of your combinations um, might define a phenotype for changing treatments, treatment modalities, uh, that sort of thing. I, I know I know it's it's outside the scope of what you did, but I just put it forward as something to ponder. Well, so I give a lot of uh, talks on HS, and this is actually one of the slides that I have. Um, and I sort of give an alternative view again uh, to what has been proposed by other groups. A lot of other groups focused uh, their phenotype analysis on, as you said, scarring, location of lesions. Was there a familial inheritance pattern? And, and I, again said, you know, I'm going to provide an alternative to that and say we should be evaluating phenotypes based on what medications they respond to. Um, so I propose that there is is a likely a, a hormonal uh, subtype that may be best treated and can be treated with hormonal, you know, targeted therapies like spironolactone or finasteride. Uh, I think there's a metabolic uh, type uh, component that may benefit from things like metformin or statins. Um, uh, and then there's a, you know, an inflammatory component that, you know, would benefit from some of the anti-inflammatory medications, like maybe even methotrexate, cyclosporin, uh, and the biologics. So I think that's, that's what I think we should look at patients is, is how we can make them better, not just how we can categorize them. And I, I think if our categorization doesn't allow us to make them better, then we need a new categorization system. So how do you use your system? to pick 
from your um, list of uh, options and combinations and options? Or how are you defining those folks? Are you just going, this is inflammatory disease, the, yeah. and grade the inflammation, if you will, by your by your count, by your IHS-4, and yeah. then you go, okay, for IHS-4, we use these two or three treatments. For IHS, you know, lower numbers, milder, we use this combination of things to start first. Is that sort of the gist of how you clinically well, approach this? I think the inflammation is, is the fundamental underlying process in all of the, the I guess, phenotypes, you can say. Um, and then I would add some of these other components as adjuvant therapies often. So, for instance, we, we, we can have a patient, uh, female, young female patient, who uh, I would ask, you know, does your, does your hydronized supertiva flare with your periods? Just as we ask with acne, right? It's a similar question we ask. And, and if we see that in the acne phenotype, then we say, wait a minute, I might be able to treat this uh, with hormonally targeted therapies, uh, maybe in addition to uh, isotretinoin or Accutane. And I think the same thing we can we can think in HS, where there is probably an underlying inflammatory component. We can treat that with, you know, anti-inflammatory antibiotics, uh, retinoids, uh, biologics, whatever your your basis is for treating the inflammation, and, and then perhaps adding on spironolactone, uh, an OCP, um, or finasteride as an adjuvant therapy, and and it provides that much better because we know that our therapies are are not a hundred percent right. We this is we don't have any therapy in HS that gives us a hundred percent clearance that everyone responds to hundred percent of the time, um, and so we're often struggling to find the correct combination for these patients. And this is sort of the guidance. And I'm sure clinicians do this already, but it just, it's not been codified in any kind of uh, an article. And I just, I think we should get there at some point in time. This is my first attempt at starting that conversation, but I'm happy for other groups and other clinicians to continue that conversation. So from your 31 patients, yep. was, was your IHS4 a useful dynamic measurement that guided treatment? Absolutely. So I can pick out individual patients, but overall in the global, uh, so in the summation table one, you can see that at input or entry uh, into our, I guess, our chart review, the average IHS-4 score was uh, 13. Uh, and the final score, when we sort of did a cutoff of the data, uh, it was three. So that's a, that's a significant reduction um, in their severity. And then I can give you individual examples where you know, we added uh, adjuvant therapies as people went along, and, and you, you keep on trying to drive their uh, disease to having less and less inflammation, less and less flares. You're basically trying to make your patients better, right? And, and you, you sort of add these things together to, to try to get them where they so want to be. And yeah. Would it be simplistic to say this is the HS treat to target? Well, I, I always, uh, I have, I take some. <laughs> Uh, I'm very careful about that term, treat to target, because I, I think the target uh, always should be the patient um, uh, and and identifying, you know, some magical target of saying, you know, well, we need a PASI reduction or, uh, you know, a CRP reduction of this amount. Otherwise, our treatment is not working and we need to change something. I think you have to evaluate it with your patients. And often there is a correlation, right? Often, you know, the more inflammation they have, the less happy they are. But I always ask the patients, you know, if they're happy and, and how they're doing with their treatment. And then they sort of give me that feedback. So I, 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 I treat the patient, not the target. 
Okay. So is the is the um, PASI 100, if you will, of AHS no inflammation? I, I don't think it's that easy. I think, like I said, every patient is different. Um, some pa- patients will have severe uh, contractual scars that severely limit their quality of life, and you might be re- able to reduce their inflammation to zero, um, but they still can't move their arms, right? And they will yeah. then need surgery. So yeah. I, I think it's it's such a complex disease with so many levels, so many manifestations that it, it, we don't really have, uh, I guess, a global scoring system. And that's why I think it's the individual patient that decides. Some patients, the scarring is the biggest thing to them. Some people, it's the smell. Some people, it's the pain. Um, so it, it, I think it you have to talk to your patient and, and ask them, you know, what is it about this disease that's really bothering you? Um, and then do some investigations into what makes your disease worse. How does it flare? Um, and then provide treatments that will get them there uh, or to the yeah. best of our abilities, right? I mean, so I think that's the thing. Uh, and that's why I think it's it's better to have a uh, a proposal that the treatment should be dynamic and you should consider all types of treatments uh, for these types of diseases and not just limit yourself to one treatment or one treatment algorithm. It should be uh, more of a global approach. Um, and that's what our final algorithm tries to get at a little bit. I've always, um, I always give kudos to the dermatologist that finally picked this disease up and started to look at it and, uh, and, and research it and start to treat people appropriately. I mean, when, when that started, the average time to diagnosis was eight or 10 years. I mean, it's amazing how we've come in our management just by, by thinking this through and by having a treatment that was pretty effective in the biologics and now we're spinning off all this other work. So tell me, let's go to your guideline. Let's, sure, let's try sure. and work through that. Okay. Um, rather than go through individual treatments um, by themselves, let's, let's, let's explore how, the, how one might use this. Uh, this is figure one in the, um, uh, in, in the in manuscript. The- so I, I will first say that and uh, give um, recognition to Dr. Gulliver and his paper that was published in the JCMS. Um, he wrote uh, about a HS guidelines that were very rigorous and very evidence-based. Uh, and I encourage everyone to look at his paper. Um, and, and that in the sort of the top half of this algorithm is the basis or was, was the basis for that uh, treatment uh, um, algorithm that he published. The, the issue that I drew was, again, this idea that there was arrows. And, the, you know, you go from treatment A and that fails, you go to treatment B. And if that fails, you go to treatment C. And then, you, you know, and then eventually you, you run out of treatments, right? You, if you keep going down this ladder, you're, you're left with no rungs at the end. Uh, and, I, and, and Europeans famously like to promote these types of, of guidelines. Um, and I remember being at one meeting in Europe and I asked a very esteemed uh, clinician. I said, you know, what do you do when you're you have no treatments left at the end of your guideline? And and there was silence. He's like, well, I I just I just feel bad for the patients then. And I was like, well, that's that's not very effective treatment and uh, not very patient centered. And and so um, that's why we we altered uh, this. And and I tried to create and I played around with how to show this graphically for a long time. I originally originally played with changing Dr. Gulliver's 
uh, algorithm by adding boxes and lines and eventually became a big mess and, and very complicated to present graphically. So um, I, I thought this was a better way to illustrate um, what we're trying to get across. And that is that it's, it's layered approaches, right? It's not just uh, going from one step to the next. It might be adding and putting different combinations together that will work best for your patients. Um, and this is really the art of medicine, right? I mean, uh, as much as, as a lot of algorithms, uh, treatment guidelines try to make clinicians choose X, and then Y, and then Z, I think when we get in front of a patient, we have to, again, realize that this really is an art form. Uh, and we have to understand the nuances of the treatments that we're providing um, and come up with new and perhaps untried uh, treatment combinations that will work for your patient. Um, and so this, this, this table, I sort of divided into the, what I call first-line therapy, and those were the ones that were derived from Dr. Gulliver's paper because they are the ones that have the highest and, and most rigorous amount of data behind them. So uh, just, as, just before you go on, remember, let, let, let me just um, try and create a visual for those people listening, because you and I are looking at this. And, and just to, at, the, at the top of this uh, 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 box, I guess, eh, might be the way to put it, is establishing the diagnosis. And then you, then you match your Hurley type to your IHS-4 score. Well, not quite, actually. So right? if, you notice, if you notice, Hurley stage one, two, and three is across the top. And then there's a, there's a bar. And you could theoretically be a Hurley stage three and have an IHS four that's mild. Right? Yes, yes. That's what I mean, match. You, you sort of, yeah. you, you, you interchange. You, you interchange. You interchange. Just because you have a low of one doesn't mean you don't have a high of the other. Correct. Yeah. And, so, and, that, and that's, that's, what it's, that's an important point to make, right? Because as, as I explained, Hurley stages don't change that much, right? You might be able to right. go from a early stage two to one, you know, or, uh, but you're not going to, if you have a early stage three disease and you have significant scarring, you're not going to suddenly not be a early stage three, right? You're not going to go to early stage one or, or have, have very mild disease suddenly. So that's why I, we created this bar that to make you realize that you should reevaluate your patients in this inflammatory um, method to be able to understand if your therapy is working or not. Um, because the, some of the papers that do suggest that the people have gone from early stage three to one or zero are, are, are suspect, unless there's been surgical intervention, right? Unless you've done some sort of skin grafting or major reconstruction of the area, that's an unlikely thing to happen. Okay, so then to go forward, underneath that kind of umbrella, if you will, once you define the patient, then you have a layering of treatment options. With Correct. the length of the bar, um, of the individual treatment extending underneath the Hurley one, two, three and IHS four up to, um, from mild to severe. So correct. Yeah. So it's a spectrum, it's a spectrum, right? Right. So, so it's, um, uh, so you, you take that spectrum of disease and you say, where does this apply? It's not just, you know, I'm going to give this one drug for this one specific subtype. I'm going to give this drug for anybody who may meet this this yeah. whole area, right? And so, um, and so I divided it initially up on the the first line therapies, the ones that have the evidence, and and um, you know we talked about topical clindamycin, uh, tetracycline antibiotics. Um, we know that clindamycin, rifampicin combination 
uh, and then add limb map. So that's really that's it. That's the if you look at the 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 entirety of of the really rigorous data that's been borne out. That's the those are the few treatments that we have available uh, if you follow most of the guidelines, right? Okay. So now to put that into words rather than visual, we have the topical clindamycin extending from Hurley one IHS four mild through to Hurley two. IHS-4 moderate, whereas we have adalibumab starting at the moderate in the Hurley's 2 IHS-4 moderate through to the Hurley's 3 severe IHS-4. Yeah, yep, but again, right? it, but again, you, you, so I, I would say, you know, if you have somebody who, who has uh, zero inflammation uh, and is Hurley stage 3, I don't know if adalimumab would be an appropriate drug for that patient because you're not going to change their scarring suddenly with ad lib map right so right so i think you have to understand that it could be it works it, it works. works yeah it does work it works the inflammation is taken into consideration it works and we've got tetracycline going across all all of the yeah. uh, um, disease categorizations as well as uh, clindamycin rifampin doing the same thing right it can be used in any yeah so the correct a antibiotics antibiotics we use across the board yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, in a lot of cases, we have to use it as first-line therapy for payers before you can get onto the uh, biologic. Um, so that's, I think that, and it does work for some people, right? I mean, it, it's definitely, uh, I have several patients who do um, have significant improvement um, with the antibiotic therapies alone. Um, but, you know, it, it, often uh, it's it's not to the to the level that, that, uh, is satisfactory to the patient. Um, so that's when you move on to other things or combine things, right? Okay. So now, so you, then underneath those three, you know, top of mind therapies, there, there's um, many other therapies listed and um, some on the left side of this graph for the milder disease and some on the right, more severe and some overlapping. Where yep. do you get your combinations now? Help me understand, because each one of these is a single unit. You just sort of, as you go from top to bottom, you add things to your to your multi-layered therapy? You can. So that this is where the art of medicine comes in, right? This, this, is, a, this is a complex algorithm cookbook that you, the clinician, can take and design. And you can add to. This is by no means a static representation. There are new treatments coming out on a regular basis, and people are trying new things. So um, I encourage people to to make their own tables like this. Um, this is largely based on the patients that I treated in my clinic, uh, and some of the data that that's derived on. You know, I, I have not had the the ability to treat people on, with anakinra, but there is is data to support uh, treatments with anakinra. Um, and so you can add and or design your treatment based on uh, what's going on with your patient, right? So, um, so for instance, you know, you could, you could take somebody who is on adalimumab 40 milligrams weekly. And, uh, as, um, as I've done many patients, I've had to updose them. Um, uh, and you can increase their adalimumab to 80 milligrams weekly. And then, and then you could add to that perhaps, um, a premolast. Uh, and if there's a metabolic component, you can add metformin. Um, and then if they still get the occasional lesion here and there, you can do injected steroids. And so that's an example of a, of a layered treatment, um, that we need to think about because we know that, you know, adalimumab works great. Um, 
but it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, and people still have often uh, some inflammation of uh, of their disease. And and uh, so nothing is 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 the quote unquote PASI 100 100% of the time for HS patients. And that's where these combinations come into play. This is a very um, interesting piece of work. I hope that our listeners um, get the chance to go to figure one and play with it because clearly for every patient, as you say, this is the, this is the art form 2019. This is, this is your palette, right? And and you're creating from this palette uh, an individual treatment for, for a unique patient. Exactly. And that's that's what, that's what I want to get across is, and we should actually start thinking about that more and more. Not just, you know, HS is a very difficult disease to treat, uh, but for a lot of the diseases, we, we need to, as clinicians, sort of um, recapture that idea that there is really an art to medicine and that each individual patient is unique uh, and that we should be designing sometimes unique treatment combinations for that patient uh, and not just, you know, um, uh, follow a cookbook type medicine because I think that takes away from the art form and, and sometimes takes away from treating the patient. I am so happy to um, hear you say these things because this speaks to um, the um, clinical training that we all experience and go through. And and it sort of is an, an affront, if you will, to that basic algorithm, machine-driven, um, statistical, this will work in so many percent of people, this will work in so many percent of people. We just don't understand the disease well enough. We get our clues from the patients, from talking to them, and working eyeball to eyeball. I mean, this is this is really a, a very beautiful piece of work. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. So is there anything else that you wanted to bring to our listeners' attention um, about HS and the management uh, given your uh, your guideline? No, I think I think for the clinicians, go go into your clinic. Uh, I do encourage uh, IHS four um, scoring. It's very simple. Each nodule is scored as one. Each abscess is scored as two, uh, and then each draining tunnel or fistula is scored as four. And then you just add those up, and then you get a numerical output uh, at each visit, um, and sort of an idea of the inflammatory load. Uh, of that patient, and if you think about it, those same numbers um, have are, are part of the high score system. Um, the high score system is is uh, uh, more of a didactic black or white. Do you achieve a high score fifty or not? Uh, and that was used in the adalimumab trials, and and now in other trials as well. But that doesn't really provide a good dynamic measure of inflammation as you go along. So I I like the IHS four scoring system better. Um, because it does change and it's dynamic. It's not just a black or white yes or no. Do you do you achieve a high score fifty or not? Um, so if if it, and some some clinicians have said to me, well, you know, I, I don't, I can't look at every single nodule and I can't look at every you know part of the body and see if it's draining. That takes too much time. So to those clinicians, I say you ask the patient because you you can uh, be certain that uh, most HS patients are aware. If they have a painful nodule, uh, if they have something that's fluctuant, uh, that's growing rapidly, and if they have areas that are draining, so it, even asking the patient and saying, "Please quantify for me, you know, how many painful nodules you have, how many nodules are fluctuant and growing and that might burst, uh, and then how many areas are draining," 
uh, will give you a good idea and a good sense of where they are. Um, and so that's something all clinicians can do in a very fat in a very fast paced practice, as we know that uh, dermatology often is. And and evaluating HS patients is, is often a time consuming thing. So this hopefully will also allow a lot of clinicians to uh, be able to evaluate patients even in a short period of time. Um, so that's that's one important component. The other thing I, I'd like to encourage clinicians to do is is ask about the phenotypes uh, of their patients. You know, um, do they have PCOS? Um, do they have diabetes? Uh, do they have flares with their periods? Um, do they have a history of acne in the past? Um, because that might help you tailor your therapies um, to those comorbidities that may be also exacerbating their HS. Um, and that's just uh, perhaps a different approach than, than is, is, is advertised uh, or promoted by some other guidelines. All right. Well, thank you once again. And I, I can't let you go without asking why we don't see cannabis on your list. You are, we've done two previous uh, uh, podcasts on cannabis with you, and I'm sort of, uh, I was sort of interested in how you might fit that into the EHS world, because I understand there's, there's a significant number of our patients using it for pain control um, with this disease. You're correct. Um... So the, as, as you know, my approach to cannabis has always been to try to promote uh, more research um, and data and, and not promote, um, uh, let's say, poorly substantiated, poorly substantiated uh, uses um, and promote some of the marketing that's taking place. Um, so uh, I have prescribed cannabis for HS patients in full disclosure. And, and we know from recent literature, actually there was a publication just came out recently, looking at cannabis use in HS patients and it's it's at least double what it is in the general population. Uh, so these patients are using a lot of cannabis um, for their disease, to help with pain control, to help with sleep. Um, and so that's a given. I didn't include it because I didn't want to necessarily promote it. Uh, I think we need, again, to do a study on it to see if it actually works and how well it works. There's no doubt patients find a benefit from it. Um, but I think we, before you know, stepping out and, and saying, yes, you should prescribe cannabis for your HS patients, we need to have a good study to show that it works. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, <laughs> Th thanks for your always... Um, candid and thoughtful comments. It's uh, you are you are truly a clinician, and uh, it shows in how you care for these folks. So thank you again, um, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast and all the other ones you've done with us. And our listeners will benefit, I'm sure. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Dr. Kirchhoff is the chair of the Department of Dermatology at the University of Ottawa and the author of the article, Combination Therapies for Hidridinitis Suppurativa, a retrospective chart review of 31 patients that appeared in our May-June 2019 issue of the journal Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery. To my mind, as a clinician, he's really given us a beautiful way to measure a dynamic response in hidradenitis suppurativa and a, an algorithm that allows us to think through all of the possible treatment options and combinations. 
Well, that's it for this episode of JCMS Author Interviews Podcast. I'm hopeful that you're a subscriber, which you can do through iTunes or any other place that you get your podcasts. Um, I'm Kirk Barber. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, be good to each other. <laughs>